You'll notice there's only one question on your handout this morning. I'm actually going to cover three questions, but I, I slipped these other two in here, and you'll see what those are here in a second. But the question that's actually on your handout today is the theme of our morning this morning, which is Small Group Sunday. We're going to be talking a lot about small groups today. And so let me pray for us, and we'll get into what we're talking about. Lord, just thank you for our time of worship this morning. Thank you that we get to come together and, and discuss things like small groups. You know, I've been praying for since we got here, and you're now providing some opportunities for that, which is really exciting. I pray that you would help uh, each one of us, even maybe some of us who might be reluctant to engage in a small group, that even we would uh, give it a shot, uh, try it out, see if it's something that would be... Uh, beneficial and building up for us. And help me uh, just make a case from your word for that today. More than anything, we just want whatever your result is in our lives today. Change, change our thinking, change our hearts. Uh, maybe we'd be open to that. Pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so the first question, which is not on your handout that we're going to cover this morning, is this question right here. All right. Our first really deep theological question, this is one that's been asked for many, many, many years, and it got put in the box, so we're answering it, is how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? No, it was only once on the, on the card, so this took a lot of deep study, but I did find the answer, which is as much wood as a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. And that's at a second hesitations, 5-3. We got that? The Bible's got answers for everything. All right. I got another one, too. Are there any jokes in the Bible? Any LOLs or ha's? I would love to hear some jokes. Laughter is the best medicine. There are some jokes in the Bible, actually. I don't know if you'll find them as, you know, as funny as maybe they were originally intended, but... First one is this. Uh, we got uh, Genesis 17. We got Abraham and Sarah, and they are some real old folks at this point. And this is what God tells them. He says, I will bless her, meaning Sarah, and indeed I will give you a son by her. This will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. You might not think that's a funny joke, but look at Abraham's response. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Is it funny? You guys think it's funny? It, I mean, obviously Abraham thought it was funny, right? I have never heard a joke that is so funny that I fell to the ground and started laughing. Maybe you've heard one of those. Sarah ends up laughing too. God names their kid the laughter or actually could be translated the joke. So their kid was a joke. So uh, yeah, there's, there's your joke uh, in the Bible. All right, here's another one. This one, you know those jokes that kind of take a little bit to develop? Uh, you know, you have to kind of walk people through it for a little while. Okay, this one takes just a little bit to develop. Okay, you got, you got to track with it. So... It starts in Numbers 11, well, it's all in Numbers 11, but in verses 4 to 6. This is the Israelites, they're out in the desert, they had left Egypt and were headed towards Canaan, and it says, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, 
And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat freely in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, and now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. If you remember, God provides them manna so they have sustenance, they have food. They were complaining because they had no food, and then God provides manna for them, and manna wasn't good enough. They wanted to go back into slavery so they could get some meat. Come on. Are you kidding me? So uh, obviously, uh, Yahweh is not happy with this. He says, you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected Yahweh who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? He says, you want meat? You're going to get some meat. And then he gives them some meat in verse 31. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. All around the camp, they had two cubits, which is about three feet deep, of quail as far as you could see in every direction. God's like, boom, there you go, have some meat. It's kind of funny, yeah? I don't think they thought it was funny, but kind of funny. This is probably my favorite one because I have to admit a weakness of mine. I am a sucker for potty humor. I just am. So let's, let's look at some potty humor. This is from 1 Kings uh, 18. This is, uh, you might know the story of Elijah being on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and they were, had this like duel between Yahweh and Baal, and Elijah calls down fire from Yahweh, and Yahweh, you like, you know, burns stuff up. You guys remember all this stuff? So you have these followers, these prophets of Baal, and they need to call down fire from heaven, get Baal to respond to them, okay? And this is what happens. It came about noon that Elijah mocked them because it wasn't happening. This was like uh, three or four hours later that they've been calling down, they've been dancing around, doing weird stuff, trying to get this fire to come down from heaven. So Elijah mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Well, either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. Now, you know, he's obviously mocking him, right? But what you don't get in the New American Standard Version is probably the better translation of gone aside, which the ESV has a little, little bit better uh, translation there. It says, And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. <laughs> Elijah's like, Is your god on the potty? Or It's kind of funny. Kind of funny. And then he totally dominates them, of course, which is cool. All right, so there you go. Those are the real questions. I mean, they're, they're, they're real questions. They were in the box. But here's our real question from today. This was a question submitted by an N. Smith. I don't know, Mr. Smith uh, was asking a question. Apparently had this question. Do you think I should join a small group? If so, Why? Yes, obviously I wrote this question for this Sunday because we are talking about small groups today. 
And I thought it was appropriate within our you know, Q&A series to ask this question. Let me just start with this, Mr. Smith. Yes, I think you should join a small group. And let me tell you why I think you should join a small group. Let's look at the early church. This is right after Pentecost, and you have thousands of people coming to Christ. It's really the establishment of the church, the first days of the church being in existence. And this is what it says in Acts 2, 46 and 47. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. From the earliest time that the church existed, there was a pattern in the church in the early days. And that pattern was they came together in the temple all together, like everybody met in the temple, this massive gathering of thousands of people. And they were doing this every day initially. And they met together as a massive group. And then they went from house to house to house to house to house, and they had meals together. And this was a pattern that actually seemed to continue for at least a while. In Acts 5, it says that every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus as the Christ. So this at least was the early pattern of the church. Now understand, these passages are descriptive, not prescriptive, right? This is not something that we have to be doing, but this is describing what the early church was doing, what they were about. And they thought it was important somehow to meet all together and to meet in smaller groups, in homes. And I think there's something to that. Again, not a mandate, not something we have to do, but I think there's some wisdom that we can gain from what they were doing in the early days that I think we can translate to our time. Because if I have any critique of the well, I have multiple critiques, you've probably noticed, of the larger church today and kind of the church culture that we've created today is that we tend to lean toward this once-a-week grand meeting, right? And that's the most important thing that we do together. I think it would be better if it wasn't the most important thing that we were doing together. I don't want to give up meeting. I want us to be together. But I think there's far more good that can be done from us doing some things outside of this hour and a half on Sunday morning. And the reason for that is, well, there's multiple reasons for that, but I'll show you uh, my case for this, okay? I think it's really hard to do a lot of the one another's in Scripture, you know what I mean by those? You know, there's lots of passages that say, do this with one another, okay? Love one another, serve one another, right? Those kind of things. I think it's hard to do many of the one another's in this format that we have on Sunday morning in this hour and a half. And so I'm not criticizing this hour and a half or saying we need to change anything. I, I might change a few things that could make this more conducive to that. But I think we need to do things outside of the hour and a half on Sunday morning to really reach our full potential as a body uh, in doing these one another's. So let me give you some examples here. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. I think other than friendships that we develop in church, which many of us have developed friendships in church, right? When I think of this idea of being devoted to one another, committed to one another, demonstrating devotion for one another, 
demonstrating love for one another, when I think what's the best format for us to do that, it's not this format. It's not this lecture-style format. This does fit in very good ways for some of the things that we need to do as a body, but not for this. And I think small groups can be a great way to do that, a good opportunity to do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. Encourage is this word that actually means to, to walk alongside someone, to be there when someone needs you in the moment they need you. That's what encouragement means. And if you imagine how we use encouragement, it makes sense. Like if someone's having a tough time, we want to encourage them verbally in that moment, right? And that's walking the road with them, right? But this word has a broader context, right? It's actually this idea of kind of living with each other, understanding one another, uh, being able to know each other well enough to know how to encourage each other, where our weak points are, when we have those seasons in our lives that are a little more difficult and we need a little more encouragement. And so I think the best way to know each other well and really know what we're going through and to be able to speak into each other's lives, that this is not the best opportunity to do that in this hour and a half we have on Sunday morning. I think small groups are a great opportunity for that. And some of you have been involved in small groups or Sunday school groups that operated that way or Bible studies midweek or something, you know, and you can attest to some of this, right? I know I can attest to it from my life. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. How can I carry your load if I don't know what your load is, right? Uh, how can I meet your need if I don't know what your needs are? How can you be willing to unpack your load on me if you don't trust me, right? And how do we build trust? It's by relationship, right? I don't think this is the best format to do that. Again, I'm not criticizing what we do here. This serves a very specific purpose in our church, but it, it makes it hard to do this, I think. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Romans 15, 14 says, And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. We have the opportunity, and I think we should be teaching one another. That I have a teaching ministry in this church, right? And I love my teaching ministry. You guys know that. I'm for it. I'm happy, right? But we have an opportunity to teach one another. Some of you guys are way down the road of your faith and have learned so many lessons over your life that you have almost a responsibility to speak into others' lives, right? But you need opportunities to do that. This is not the opportunity to do that, right? This is not the best opportunity to do that in this hour and a half we have on Sunday mornings. And we can be admonishing one another, which literally just means to give biblical advice to each other, right? I know I need advice in my life. I think you need advice in your life at different times. This is not the best format to be giving each other biblical advice. So what is? Well, I think there's lots of opportunities to do that, right? But I think small groups are a great opportunity to do that because you're making that sort of, of a commitment with one another to be involved in each other's lives, to be speaking into each other's lives. I think small groups can definitely do that.
Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Now, this word encourage is not the same Greek word I looked, we looked at at the other encourage. This encourage actually means to irritate one another, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> it means to stir each other up, spur each other on, right? But you think of what a spur does. You ever, anybody ever had a spur on and hit a horse with it? You know, you're like, go, you know? That's what this is, that we're supposed to spur each other on, encourage one another to loving good works. And this is not me spurring you on. I, hopefully, I do that with the word on a regular basis. This is us spurring each other on, right? Let us consider how to spur one another on to loving good deeds. This hour and a half on Sunday morning is not the best way to do that. Yeah, maybe you can get a little bit in like before service when we're talking and after service and you slip something in in that five minutes, right? But it's just not the best format for it. And I think small groups is a very good format for that. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's this lie that's out in church culture today and it's showing up in statistics about church going and interacting with your church body, that there's more and more people who are choosing to go, oh, I don't need to be with my church body. I can kind of do this Jesus thing on my own. That's a lie. It's, it is a lie. Uh, we need each other. We need each other to help keep us on the path, Right? I need someone in my life that if I'm starting to walk down a road that leads to destruction, that they yank my collar and go, hey, don't go down there. That's not the place for you. This is the place for you. We need that. We all need that. And this is not the best format to do that in. I think small groups are a great format to do that in because you're constantly checking in with each other. You're constantly seeing how things are going with each other. And that's necessary. James 5.16 it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. I would sum up this verse in kind of a modern context as vulnerability, being vulnerable with one another. When was the last time you were vulnerable with someone else in this body about something you're struggling with or a failure that you had? That's just not a common thing for us to do and not a thing we do on Sunday mornings, right? Community is really born out of that kind of vulnerability, right? That connection is born out of that. Being real with one another, being open and honest with one another, that's how community is built. But opening up requires trust, right? Well, you got to trust the people that you're interacting with, Right? That's not really going to happen on a Sunday morning. This format is not made for that, right? You're probably not going to open up with 100 people because you don't know if you can trust everybody in the room, right? But you get into that small group. You get into that community that you built trust with. It's not going to come like this, but it comes over time, and you build that trust level with them. Then you can be super vulnerable with them. I know in our 20s, Melissa and I were involved uh, in a small group, and uh, that group went through miscarriages together. That group went through um, family issues, like severe family issues together. That group 
went through marital problems with people in the group, right? The, the marriages in the group were struggling, and they would be open with us about that because we loved each other, right? We trusted one another. We knew that this was a safe place, that we could be real, and we could get advice and encouragement and prayer from the people we trusted. We went through the loss of close family members during that time period. We went through at least one serious medical diagnosis in the group, and that was the group that, was the group that helped us weather these things, right? Small groups can be really, really, really good in a way that this can't be. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Love that. We've talked about this a lot, but we are all gifted for service in the body, every single one of us. But there are very limited opportunities in this hour and a half for us to use our giftedness with one another. Uh, It's just not the way this thing works. Small groups give you more of an opportunity for us each to express our giftedness with one another. Just think about, like, if you have gifts of teaching, how much of an opportunity do you have to use that gift in this hour and a half on Sunday mornings? I mean, I use mine all the time. How much opportunity do you have to do that? If you are an encourager, like you're supernaturally gifted as an encourager, how often are you able to use that here? Maybe a little bit before and a little bit after service, right? But not a lot of opportunity. If you have gifts in leadership, how often do you get to use that in here in the hour and a half we're together, right? If you have gifts of mercy and compassion for others, how often do you get to express that mercy and compassion for others? And especially because maybe they're not going to open up about something and they can use that gift towards Some of you guys are supernaturally gifted with wisdom. How often are you able to share that wisdom in this hour and a half on Sunday mornings? Some of you guys are gifted with extraordinary faith. And there's other people who go through crises of faith on a regular basis. They need you to be that strong person walking right next to them saying, trust God, he is trustworthy, right? But how often do we have that chance to rub off on one another with those gifts? Again, small groups aren't the answer, aren't the end all, right? I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say that they're a great opportunity to do some of these things with one another. And it would strengthen our body, I think, exponentially for each of us to be involved in a small group. I really believe that. Ephesians uh, 4.16 says, The whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You guys have heard me teach on this before. I'm convinced because it's clear. I'm convinced if you're not doing your part in the body, you are holding back. You are stunting our growth as a church. And that you have that power, right? Either to withhold your gifts or express your gifts. But the problem is, and I'm convinced that many of us in this room are not using our God-given giftedness on a regular basis to serve the body. But part of that is, I think probably for most of you or many of you, you don't have an opportunity, right? You don't see the opportunity to use your giftedness in the body. Small groups are a great way to care for one another, serve one another, speak truth into the lives of one another, show compassion for one another, look out for each other's interests, comfort one another, when grieving. And again, some of us find times to do some of these things 
but it usually revolves around friendships within the body, which is not a bad thing. We should have friendships within the body. This is a good thing. But that makes the expression of your gift very sporadic, right, and very limited. I think small groups, again, give this opportunity. I will add this is not biblical. We've talked about this before, but this is the way we as a church are choosing to live out our mission here at the church. This is our vision vision principles, right? Small groups definitely fit into our vision as a church in two particular ways. The first one is we want to be a church that's community-driven. We don't want this place to be something that is driven by an individual or by a group of individuals who are the ones kind of driving everything all the time. We want to be driven by a community of believers all expressing their gift and serving the body together. So this definitely fits into that. Obviously, I've talked a little bit about that, so hopefully you can see the connection there. And without a doubt, this is an opportunity to build disciples. At this point in our development as a church, we have very limited discipleship opportunities within the church. This small group thing instantly creates a massive amount of opportunities to disciple. You both need to be speaking into other people's lives and be spoken into, (laughs) right? And especially if you've been in the faith for many, many, many years, there are younger people in the faith in this church that need you to build into their lives. So this gives opportunity for that. This definitely is a key way that we can do that. We want to do that in other ways also, but this is a key way we can do it, is by doing small groups. I'll give you a little verse on this uh, principle that I like. It says, you therefore, my son, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. T- Timothy was a, uh, what we would call a pastor today. Paul is speaking into Timothy's life as a mentor in his life. Look what he says. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Do you get the picture here? Paul built into Timothy's life, and now he wants Timothy to build into a group of other people's lives so that they can go build into other people's lives. I love that picture. Part of the reason I love that picture is I grew up in a church that really did discipleship well. They lived this out very, very well, building into individuals, groups of individuals who in turn built into other individuals. And that church, discipleship was happening all the time, every day of the week, in some place, there was discipleship happening all the time. They just did it really, really well. And it's because they lived out this principle of kind of passing on the faith, right? Passing on the things that God has taught you to others who need those tools. And again, I think small groups are a way to do that. Are they the only way to do that? By no means. There are other opportunities to do that 100%. But small groups at this point in our history as a church is one primary way we're deciding as a church to accomplish these things. And um, we're hoping that you jump in on it. So let me pray for us, and we'll um, get to the rest of our morning. Lord, as I'm just speaking through these things, I, you know, I'm getting flashbacks to the many, many ways in which others have built into my life over the years the many ways that I've been discipled, the people that you've put in my life that have really changed me in so many ways. In fact, I would say probably in the most important ways that I've been changed, you've used others to do that. 
as they speak into my life, as they walk the road with me in life. And I'm so excited for the ways that you're going to use these small groups that are going to begin to form this week and next week. And that uh, they would just be used for your glory, that we would learn to be vulnerable with one another and speak into each other's lives and love one another and be devoted to one another in a way that we, we haven't before. And that really can only be produced by you. We want to kind of create structure for this to, to happen, but the actual working of this is completely in your realm, Lord. And so we just ask that you knit us together, you um, teach us how to serve one another, that you build us up into uh, a mature body of believers, that you, ma- you continue to mature us. We go down this road. We pray this all in your name.